A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by the 5-Day Money Challenge. Get your stuff together with money and increase your confidence in just five days. Save your seat at WhitneyHanson.com slash money challenge and join in on the fun. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. There are so many different ways to invest in real estate. There's long-term holds where you're buying a property and renting it out for longer than six to 12 months. There's multifamily properties where you're buying duplexes and fourplexes and even, I don't know, like all, all kinds of like apartment complexes. There's so many different ways to invest in real estate. There's even ways where if you don't want to be a real estate investor and actually own the property, you can still do that through REITs. There's so many options. So because of that, I want to focus in on one option that I think is starting to gain a lot of traction, a lot of steam, and for good reason. It's very, very profitable, and that is short-term rentals. Now, most of us are very familiar with short-term rentals. This is your traditional vacation properties where you would go to, I don't know, a cabin in the mountains or a beach property and rent it for a week with your family and then go back home. So short-term rentals are nothing new. It's something that has always been around. Now, they didn't really start catching a ton of steam until Airbnb came around and made this a very popular and easy way for people to rent out a spare bedroom or an RV or whatever the heck it might be. And now that has since evolved into lots of different things. There's even a website called Hip Camp where all they do is glamping sites and untraditional houses and camp lots. It's really interesting to see how this has changed. But the whole point of this episode is that If you have the ability to invest in real estate and you want to try a short-term rental, it can be a really great business opportunity for you. And from what I'm seeing, it can bring in a ton of money if you do your homework correctly. Now, I'm not going to say it always makes money because that's probably not the case. I'm sure there's plenty of situations where you can really lose some cash. Like, I mean, it's still an investment. You still have to be careful. You still have to do your due diligence. But I wanted to share with you a couple ways that I personally run short-term rental analysis to see if it might be a profitable thing. Now, one word of note, I know a lot of people think of short-term rentals as I have to go buy a second home, I have to go get another mortgage, and that is one way of doing it. That definitely is. That's when you own the asset, but you don't always have to own the asset. I just want you to see that there could be potential even outside of 
owning property for you to just think a little bit more creatively. Here's what I mean by this. You can actually, my little sister's actually doing this. It's pretty cool. She put up an ad on Craigslist and said she was looking to rent some land. She doesn't have enough money to buy land, but she really wanted to rent. So she had a couple people respond to her with really great lots, and she's going to be doing a couple canvas tents on their lots and doing kind of like a revenue split, a little bit of a lease situation but you don't even have to own the land. And that's one of those things I want you to be aware of is that there's so many different ways to get into real estate investing. There's so many different ways. And if you can think creatively and you can do things possibly a little bit differently, you're gonna find some true success possibly. So let's dive into more of a traditional scenario where you are going to buy a piece of property or you're going to buy a home. Let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that is not necessarily a safer route, but you own an asset. And I think anytime you can own an asset, you're hopefully going to get appreciation. You can actually liquidate it. There can be some really good options there. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on for purposes of this episode. So there's two factors that you have to be aware of when you're running short-term rental analysis. The first one is your occupancy rate. Now, occupancy rate is just a fancy way of saying how much is this rented? Are you rented 100% of the time? Is it 60% of the time? Is it 20% of the time? This matters a lot when it comes to vacation properties or short-term rentals because it really does dictate how much money you make in one sense of it too. Now, the second factor that I think is incredibly important, especially especially as we're seeing more Airbnbs, more short-term rentals, is the marketability of the property. It has to be unique in some way, in some way. Now we're not talking about you have to build a treehouse just to get it rented full time, but it certainly helps. Anything you can do that will help you market the property is just going to make your life so much easier. So we're going to dive into these two factors on how you can identify what the occupancy rate might be and how you might discover what marketability might mean for that specific property. So let's dive into these in a little bit more detail. So starting with occupancy rate, historically, this number has been really hard to come by. You would have to have very sophisticated analysis and a lot of guesstimating, honestly, in order to get this number right. But there has since become a lot of technology platforms out there that help you with this number. My personal favorite for getting an occupancy rate for a specific area is airdna.co, not .com, .co. Airdna is really cool. So did you ever watch the show Stay Here on Netflix? I obsessed over this show, you guys. It was a couple years ago when it came out. It's only one season, which totally bums me out. But the whole premise of the show is that you have two, one's a designer, one's a business person, and they go into somebody's house and recreate it so that they can get better profitability with their their short-term rental, their vacation property. And I loved it so much because one of the things that they did is, yeah, they showed the interior design. And I think that's that part's really fun to watch too. But I love the business side of it. I find it so fascinating. And they would show these property owners, this is how much you can charge. This is how much your neighbors are charging. This is how much money you could make per month. And I remember seeing that thinking, how the heck did they get those numbers? Now, keep in mind, I have an MBA. I went to business school. I know that most forecasts are total BS. And so my radar immediately went off of like, yeah, right, come on. 
And once I started doing some more research, they kept showing this software over and over again. And I was like, what the heck are they using? This is so cool. And that's where I came across AirDNA. So AirDNA was used throughout this entire show. If you've watched the show now, you know that's the software that they're using. The cool thing about AirDNA is that it does have a free account. This is not sponsored by them, although if they want to sponsor, I would definitely say yes, because that would be so sweet. I use this like literally every single day. But the way it works is you create a free account and you can type in a zip code, you can type in a city, you can type in like all kinds of different things. And the cool thing is it will give you an aggregate of all of the information for a specific area. So you're going to be able to see things like how many rentals, like number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, amenities offered, all of that different stuff all in one place. And it aggregates Airbnb and Verbo, VRBO. So it's giving you a much better view of what you might actually expect. So pretty cool stuff. I'm a big fan. But one of the things that I really like about AirDNA, even if it's just the free version, is it gives you ADR, which is your average daily rate, revenue per month, and an overall occupancy rate for that area. So with this information, you can then plug it into a spreadsheet. You can start to run a more sophisticated analysis, but it gives you an idea of is stuff actually renting in that area? So true story. I recently went to the Grand Canyon with a couple of my girlfriends and I spent a few extra days exploring around, looking at property, trying to find my next property myself. I went to an area that I think is incredible. On paper, this place sucks. Like when I ran the air DNA, it was 30% occupancy rate on average. It's not so good. The area, it's so cool. So I was so torn on this and that, you know, that doesn't always mean it would be a bad investment, but it's a good indicator that the data doesn't really support it. So if I have enough money to do one project in the near future, I'm probably going to pick something that's a little bit more of a sure bet where I have a higher chance of success. Now you can do whatever the heck you want. This is just my own mindset into running short-term rental analysis. It's an investment. It's something I want to see my money returned on. And so that occupancy rate really helps you determine what is normal. Now I see a lot of places that are 60% occupancy rate and higher. I think the bare minimum is about 60%. So when I'm looking at an area, if it's between 50 and 60, I'm more interested in it because I know that I can market better. I can do a better job. I can make it cooler. I can make it more unique. I've got a good creative mind that I know I can make things a little bit different. So because of that, I don't always go off of just the occupancy rate and I don't only go off of the average daily rate, but it gives you a good indicator of how that market is doing as a whole. Now, the part that I think is a ton of fun that most people naturally start to do, even as a consumer, is market research. Now, market research encompasses a lot of different things. So let's dive into when you're thinking about market research, what specifically should you be looking at for properties? I like to start with the tools that I would actually be using to market my property, which is Airbnb specifically. So what I will do is I will look at the top properties in a specific area. So I live in Boise, Idaho. Let's use this as a quick example. So when I run my scenario and I look at Boise, Idaho, actually, I have that air DNA in front of me. Let me pull it up really quickly so we can talk about the specific numbers. So here in Boise, the short-term rental market is pretty good. It has an occupancy rate of 77%. 
has an average daily rate of $112 per night and revenue on average is $1,484 per month. There are 706 active rentals in the Boise market. That's a ton. That's a lot of competition. And so because of that, that's not something that I am personally interested in, but it shows that there's a huge demand and a huge market for short-term rentals in Boise. So if I'm looking at how can I market a property in Boise differently? I start with the reviews for Airbnb. I'd plug it into Airbnb. I'd say Boise, Idaho, look at all of the top listings that are on the first two pages. And what that's going to tell me is how many reviews. So I'm looking at the number of reviews specifically. So you might see some properties that have 500 reviews. They've probably been in the game quite some time and are doing really, really good or they're doing really bad. Who knows? So I always, always start with the reviews. I also look at the reviews and dive into a little bit more detail. What I'm looking for specifically is were people traveling through this city for something specific? Were they going to, I mean, they wouldn't be going, well, maybe who knows? Let's say I'm seeing a ton of reviews on one specific listing that talks about, we stopped here on our way to Yellowstone National Park. Now you probably wouldn't stop in Boise for that. It's still quite a ways away, but I mean, bear with this example, right? If I see that over and over, that's a good indicator that this is maybe a stopping point. So if it's a stopping point, I can market it that way in my copy, in my title, in my SEO for my own website, through my Instagram, like all of that stuff matters. So that's why it's so important to look at reviews to see what the heck do people go there for? The other factor when I'm looking at reviews is I will scroll through all of them like literally every single review for a specific property. And I will look to see when did this first become an Airbnb? That gives us a really good idea of how well it's doing. So if you see a property that has, I don't know, say 300 reviews, but it's been on Airbnb for 10 years, I don't know if that's really that great. It might be, but it's really not that, not that enticing for me as an investor. So that's what I'm looking for when I talk about reviews. What were they traveling through for? How many reviews? That gives you a rough indication of how many people are actually staying here. And when did it first become a rental? So once you have that, the next piece that I'm looking for for market research is the pictures. Pictures are everything. You guys know I love furniture flipping. In furniture flipping, if you take bad pictures, your furniture will not sell. So same thing with real estate. If you take bad pictures of your property and you're trying to convince people to come stay here, you're probably not going to rent it. So no, your iPhone photos would not cut it. And that's what I'm looking for. If I feel like I can get into a property, take better pictures, market it a little bit better, then you win. You're going to be rented a little bit more. It's, it's pretty easy to see why somebody would choose a really beautifully lit property versus something that's maybe kind of crappy lighting. It just, it makes all of the difference in the world. So I'm definitely looking at pictures. The next thing I'm looking for is amenities. Now this isn't everything, but it does kind of matter. It gives you an idea of what the landscape might be. So what amenities are people offering? If you are going to a property in, I don't know, Phoenix, Arizona, and you do not have AC, but all the other properties do, Yours is probably not going to be rented quite as much, even if it is really cute. Like that's kind of a necessity in Phoenix, I think. <laughs> I would imagine. I don't know. I live here in Boise. So to me, AC is still a necessity, even in Boise. And then once I have a little bit more information on the amenities and what people are offering, I'm starting to look at the marketing copy. What makes one listing stand out versus another? Why is this one specifically more rented? Is it because it's super unique and really cool? Or is it because they have very clear, accurate copy, copy meaning just like language on the sales page, essentially. So that matters a lot looking at all of those things. And then lastly, what I'm looking for when I'm doing some market research into this 
is availability. Now, availability is so, so hard to know what is true. So it's hard to know, is it actually rented or is it the owner's blocked off time on their calendar for personal use or maintenance use or whatever the heck it might be? It's really difficult to know, is it fully booked or is it just blocked off? Now, this is a tricky one. So what I personally like to do, if I'm very serious about a specific area, in fact, I'll give you an example. For my Cascade property, I have a property in Cascade, Idaho, and I am getting it all set up to be a glamping site. Now, one of the things that I'm looking at is there are tons of yurts around this specific site, not mine directly, but in that general area, there's like four different yurts and they're all for rent on Airbnb. So what I'm doing is I have a list on my Airbnb called the try before you build and I'm saving unique or different properties to that list. Now I also have a list called Cascade Competition. And so what I'm doing is I'm saving all these different properties into my Cascade Competition folder. And I'm going to the Airbnb listings about once a month for all of the different yurts. And I'm just taking a screenshot of what's their occupancy, how many days are booked, say for the month of April and May, I'll look at that, take a screenshot of it. And then I'll check back again in a month to see how it changed. It's not perfect. I know. I know it's not perfect. You can definitely pay for some more information through AirDNA, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of cheap, okay? <laughs> if I'm being honest, I don't like to spend money on that kind of stuff. So I don't do that. I just take these little screen grabs here and there, and it gives me a rough idea of what the competition might be rented as. So all of these play a huge factor into your marketability of the property. Of course, if you want to be booked more, target areas that are around national parks, national forests, really popular destinations, that kind of stuff is always going to be a little bit more marketable. It's a little bit easier of a sell. It's not the only places that work, but that tends to be the better option. So if you are concerned about, I want more of a quote unquote guaranteed return, that's the strategy I would use. I would look for places near national parks. Now, all that to say, those are two small factors of your success as a short-term rental host. The thing that's really important to remember is that you can have the most beautiful property ever. You can have great pictures, you can have the best amenities, and all of that will not matter at all for a short-term rental if you don't have your systems in order from a business perspective, if you aren't communicating very quickly and promptly, if you don't have a good cleaner that can actually make sure that your property is comfortable and ready for guests, all of this stuff matters. So you can have a phenomenal property, but if you drop the ball in your communication and your cleanliness, you're going to fail. And so it really does make a difference too, but this is all pre-purchasing the property. These are all the things you have to do to get ready to see if it's a good investment. The other thing that I'm looking for when I'm running short-term rental calculations is how short-term rental friendly is this specific city. There are some cities that do not even allow any short-term rentals, like New York City. There's no freaking way. They don't even allow that. And if you get caught, you get in major trouble. So because of that, I don't necessarily think that all cities are equal when it comes to short-term rental investing. And so you have to do some homework and you have to make sure that you're picking cities that fit for what you're trying to do and seem to have some systems in place that are a little bit more short-term rent renter friendly. So that's some of the things that I'm thinking about. The second thing, when I'm starting to select a piece of property, I I might find a cabin or a lot that I'm just in love with. But before I move forward with that, you have to look at the CCNRs. CCNRs are just the covenants for properties. So sometimes these are things like you can't paint 
a, your house a certain color. It has to be well manicured, like all of this different stuff, right? These are all CCNRs. So I'm checking for CCNRs because that is also where a lot of times you're going to find rules on what a certain size of house has to be in a subdivision. So I find a ton of lots that I think would be absolutely perfect, but require a minimum of 2000 square foot homes. And on top of that, a lot of times they do not even allow short term rentals. So you have to look into the CCNRs to see if what you're trying to do is actually okay. Now the next step would be to look into HOAs. We all know homeowners associations. These are sometimes demonized, but for short-term rentals can sometimes be a good thing if the HOA is short-term rental friendly. Let me give you an example of how that might work. So for a lot of properties in Idaho, there are lots of snow. So up at my property in Idaho, there's a ton of snow in the winter. I have to physically pay to have it plowed to get to my lot. So that's expensive, right? But a lot of times if you're in an HOA and you're paying a yearly, quarterly, monthly, whatever your HOA dues are, sometimes that road maintenance of that plowing in the winter is covered through your HOA. So it's not always a bad thing, but you do have to do your homework to see, is this going to be an uphill battle? Do you have to kind of do things a little bit under the radar? Like, what are you going to do with this property? If you look into the CCNRs, the HOAs, and see if the city is short-term rental friendly, you're going to find a lot better information and it's going to be a better investment for you. All right. These are some of the basics of what I do when I'm running a short-term rental calculation. I then plug it into a spreadsheet. So I get all of my data in order and I will look at the best case, the worst case, and a mid-case scenario. Now, when I say best case, for me, I look at how much does this property cost me? Do I have to install septic, a well? How much is gonna cost for furnishings? Do I need to install electricity? So I look at my all-in costs. I calculate how much I might be charging per night and then when I run these numbers, it's a very sophisticated calculation. I'll look at best case is 80% rented, mid case is about 60%. And for me, my worst case is 50%. If I'm rented half of the year, that's my worst case scenario. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at all of these different factors. I'm adding up how many you know, expenses do I have? The total expenses? What is my cleaning costs? Actually, my cleaning costs, I usually leave off because if you do something like Airbnb, your guests are paying for the cleaning costs. So it doesn't actually hit your books per se. It just goes directly to your caretaker in that situation. But I'm looking at repairs and maintenance. Customer supplies, I factor about $10 per stay per guest property taxes, insurance, marketing costs, utilities. I also have a miscellaneous because I'm missing something category because <laughs> I'm always missing something. We always are. But this gives you a rough idea of whether or not this is going to be a profitable venture for you. Now you have your own numbers. I have my own numbers. I know exactly what I need to be making for me to feel like it's worth me putting money into. But what I can say is after you get comfortable running these calculations over and over and over again, pretty soon you're running these really quickly and you can start to go through your analysis a lot faster. So it takes a ton of time in the beginning for just running even one property. But the whole point of this is the more you practice, the better you're going to get and the faster you can do this and identify really great opportunities in the market. I hope you enjoyed this episode. These are some of the factors I look into. There's a ton more that I really dive into detail on depending on the area, but hopefully this gives you an idea of at least where to get started. If you enjoyed this episode, do me the biggest favor and leave me a five-star review. It means so much to me to see which episodes resonate with you. And it really does mean a ton for this podcast. It helps it get in front of even more people. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have an awesome day and I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.